Texas talking oh. What was that that you said? Texas talking oh. Gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys Hi, this is Dana DeBevoir, Travis County Clerk, taking a short break from issuing same-gender marriage licenses to introduce this week's Tribune podcast. When I was first asked, I thought I would need a few days to get guidance from the Texas Attorney General to speak on this issue. But on second thought, who needs a little old advisory opinion when you've got the U.S. Supreme Court? Congratulations to all the happy couples, and enjoy this week's podcast. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the second week of July. I'm joined by CEO and Editor-in-Chief Evan Smith. Hello. Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. And Tribune Reporter Morgan Smith. Hello. Oh, you guys seem like a little uh, low-energy crowd this morning. Well, yeah, what do you, you well, what do you got, Ramshaw? <laughs> Fire us up with some awesome news. What do you got? All right. Well, why don't we start talking about the um, interesting news overnight uh, about Ken Paxton, our oh, Attorney General. Do it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. A real sexy topic. A rocket booster for this podcast. All right. So he's facing intense legal scrutiny. Morgan, can you sort of fill us in on what is going on with uh, the uh, the state's top attorney's own legal challenges? Yeah. So. These were issues that had surfaced during his campaign um, for attorney general and then had had subsided a bit. But he has basically he's already admitted that he improperly registered with the state uh, Securities and Exchange Board and he was fined for that. But kind of charges stemming from that have were passed along to the Travis County attorney general or sorry, Travis County district attorney who then said they had improper jurisdiction, passed that along to the Collin County and Dallas County. Dallas declined to bring a case. Collin County has been investigating him on charges related to um, to financial fraud. And that's something that a um, that two special prosecutors are bringing or asking a are considering um it's a basically a first degree felony charge, um, and so they're considering bringing it before a grand jury a grand to decide. Jury. Right, right. They're going to take exactly. it to a grand jury later this month. And so that's that's a possible indictment that he, that Paxton is facing at the state level. And the allegations back, or the response to the allegations, I should say, has been the response back to this has been political. Exactly. It's all political. It's a political exactly. prosecution, stipulating that anybody who's ever come under this kind of scrutiny almost always says. It's politics. Yeah, it's a laminated card you get when you're elected to office. So, you know, my. Um, and then the prosecutors pushed back against the pushback and said, "No, it's not political." No. Right. Well, but they also cited their own um, affiliations. So it's not as if. Well, they basically said, you know, this you know, is serious. Glenn Maxey and Lloyd Doggett, who are pursuing right. charges against Ken Paxton. So, so this case went to the Collin County DA, who turns out to be and said straight up, "I'm a friend I'm a and pal. associate yeah. of Ken Paxton, so right. I'm going to." hand this off. They appointed a couple of special prosecutors from Houston, Kent Schaefer and Brian Weiss. And so in this Paxton throwdown, uh, Anthony Holm, his um, spokesman said, you know, it's a political prosecution by some Houston attorneys. These guys and, are from Houston. From Who Houston. can trust these guys um, from Houston? Brian Weiss, interestingly, is was the appellate lawyer for one Thomas Dale DeLay um, of Sugarland, Texas. You know, and they've widened their inquiry, right? First, this was pretty narrow, and then they went to the to the judge, it sounds like, and said, could we, do we have permission to sort of widen our investigation? Well, they handed the investigation part of this to the... 
Texas Rangers, not the baseball team, but the other one. And thank you, Kate. Kate um, Galbraith. Yeah, so shout out to Kate Galbraith. Um, <laughs> they threw it to the Texas Rangers. The Texas Rangers came back and said, um, we found some other stuff in the cupboard you might be interested in. And they came back with this thing that they're now saying, without detailing, that they're going to take to the grand jury and say, you know, this looks like a an allegation of a first-degree felony. What do you think? The so grand jury the, the thing last no night is or true billet. And so the thing last yeah. night is that, or the thing no, last night is something thing, else. Why don't you start by so telling us? So the thing last night is separate. This is a federal uh, a federal probe of a company that Ken Paxton is an investor in, and how he how his name has emerged in this is that his email address and then also his name was a search term in documents that the SEC has subpoenaed this company that Paxton is an investor in. We don't know the reason for his email address or his name being in these search terms. You know, he could be a victim of it. He could be right. something else. We don't know. But no, Nothing's proven and nothing, in fact, is even actually alleged. Exactly. Right. It's exactly. just listed. In the his, it's just his listed. involvement is no... So you got that, you got the deal with the Securities Board and the Collin County investigation. Right. And then you have Paxson's role in the ongoing controversy over whether or not county clerks and others should be involved in a... Right. I mean, I think... And the question, I guess, is whether... You know, he's become... Guy, guy it, has become a real just well, magnet for all kinds of news coverage. Well, mm -hmm. he's become sort of Mr. Social Conservative, you know, the sort of emblematic for... for this was the, Morgan's story of last week, right? The mm -hmm. culture warrior story. Right. He's the culture warrior because he's been the one out there, you know, every time the Supreme Court rules in a way that isn't favorable to what Texas leaders want, which has happened, oh, several times in the last couple of weeks. You know, he's been the one standing out there um, beating the drum. I think the question is whether this is sort of a, an overcorrection or like a hey, look over here, you know, d let's distract you from, you know, the bigger sort of legal issues that I'm facing, or if this is his M.O. from the get-go and these are the things he really believes and he's been like this, you know, from day one. Oh, don't you think this is who he's been? Oh, right? yeah. Well, yeah, he's been conservative the whole time. It's interesting, though, that he's gotten to this level of prominence almost anonymously. This mm -hmm. is like his political right. quinceanera or something. It's like, you know, his coming out here and—, and he he got he went through the house. He ran for speaker against Joe Strauss. He wasn't uh, in the house all that long before he ran for the Senate. And then right? after yeah. he after he um, withdrew from that race, that didn't actually come to a vote because um, he didn't have the votes. Uh, they voted in caucus. He didn't get the votes. He pulled down. Uh, he ran for Senate. He got into the Senate. Um, relatively quiet over there. He won a contested race for. Attorney General against Dan Branch and Barry Smitherman, who in their ways are were formidable opponents. Dan Branch had a lot of money. Barry Smitherman was a previously was a statewide office holder. But as you say, you know, Paxton had built his um, political base with the people who vote in Republican primaries, and he beat both but, of those but guys. It but after it wasn't as if it wasn't as if this stuff, sort of the general and even some of the specific stuff about Paxton, was not issue in the campaign. Yeah, I mean, it came right. up so in the campaign. In the, in, the voters, first, yeah. right. in the first round, it didn't. But in the runoff against the runoff. Branch, there was a significant amount of this that came out that the Branch people were only too happy to either usher out of the closet or to sort of stand and watch as it was ushered out by somebody else. And the voters still elected Ken Paxton by the same margin over Branch in the runoff that Patrick beat Dewhurst. It right. wasn't as if Patrick, I mean, pardon me, Paxton suffered 
even a speed bump as a consequence mm-hmm. of this. And, and then by the fall, when Sam Houston ran against Paxton and tried to make an issue of this as the Democratic candidate, it was asked and answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, don't, he, I don't think that Branch made a real issue of this. I mean, he... he oh, my goodness. I had the feeling that whole race that they had the bullet and never put it in the gun. They never really prosecuted this. Ro- Ross, they I... brought I, it up, I, but I don't think I hate to disagree with you, but I think that the Branch people played this thing like a violin. That was the all the only music you heard during the entire runoff was Ken Paxson's going to get disbarred. Ken Paxson's going to be indicted. Ken Paxson is going to bring shame on this office. Hmm. I'll tell you what, the, the the most unlucky son of a bitch out of all this so far is Dan Branch. Don't cut Dan Branch off on 635. I'm telling you what, he's got a, a legitimate case of road rage right now. Because he, he, he's looking at this going, I, I told you all that there was going to be all this stuff. Now stipulate that the packs and stuff has not played out. We don't know how it's going to go. But Branch is probably going, hello, where were you when I was talking about this all during the run? Except that Branch is not the kind of guy who's beloved by the people who put candidates in. Oh, hell in no. I completely seats. agree I mean, with you. what's fascinating... Politically, Branch was not tenable for that at a wing time, of the party. At a time when social conservatives, when the Tea Party guys are, are annoyed as hell about this gay marriage stuff that, you know, that Greg Abbott isn't calling a special session, you know, that Dan Patrick's little, you know, grassroots advisory committee is splitting from him because they want more independence. Ken Paxton is like the guy who everybody loves loves. You know, he's he's their champion. He's on the top of their list. You see, you know, the quotes from Steve Hotze and, um, you know, Joanne Fleming. He's the, the their champion. So it's really sort of a fascinating. And, and he's become nationally, Pat Paxton has actually been known as the attorney general who's pushing back against the court. Whether or not from a legal standpoint, that is a, a plausible strategy. I mean, what right? do you think the chances are he is going to end up indicted? Uh, you know, no way to rate that. I yeah. mean, it depends on the grand jury, depends mm-hmm. on what they present, depends on what their evidence is. They haven't said what the specifics of the charge are, um, just that they've got what they think is enough to take to a grand jury. And you can tell that Paxton, you know, like anybody should, is taking this very seriously. He's hired a former federal judge as his defense lawyer. Um, but at the same time, just like Governor Perry, the fact that He's indicted by a grand jury doesn't mean that the story is over. The story is just beginning. And from the standpoint right. of his pushback and what he does next, you can believe that the Paxton, Team Paxton is not going to take it lying down. Right. And, and they're going to fight. I mean, if he does face an, if he face, if he has an, if he is indicted, does Abbott ask him to, does he face pressure from someone like Abbott to step down to, to leave his post? If Rick Perry is any model, you know, these guys can get indicted and keep on going and yeah. going and going. Yeah. And well, it, now, I'm not aware, maybe you are, Morgan, of, of any comment on the Paxton situation that Abbott has made. No. Are you aware of any? No. Nope. Certainly not. No. I mean, they're going to mm-hmm. wait and see this play out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but I, you know, I don't know Greg Abbott super well. We haven't got enough of a taste of Greg Abbott as governor for very long. But my sense is that Greg Abbott is not going to decide on the basis of an indictment. Yeah. Oh, well, we got to get this guy out of there. I suspect he probably stays out of it or, if anything, offers some statement of support. I think he'll stand back. I think he knows for a fact, because Paxton has admitted it, that he violated the rules at least, you know, mm-hmm. once. So if, I, if I'm a governor and I have an AG who said for sure, you know, at, at this point I did violate the state securities law, I think I'd stand back and wait to see how this all plays out. Yeah, not his fight. I'd, I'd, I'd stand back. Yeah.
Yeah. Well, we, we spoke briefly about um, uh, the lieutenant governor's grassroots advisory panel. We got some news uh, the on Independence Day Eve at about 4.45 p.m. <laughs> perfect moment to, to make news. <laughs> it yeah. was a perfect, perfect moment right. to make news. Uh, Patrick sends out a press release basically saying that he and his grassroots advisory panel, which is this panel he established um, at the very start of the legislative session to provide him some guidance, they were parting ways. Uh, what was What was the rationale for this decision? What was the Gwyneth Paltrow version of this? Oh, conscious uncoupling. Conscious yeah. uncoupling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, I Dan like Patrick that. and Joanne Fleming. Joanne Fleming and I are having a conscious uncoupling. <laughs> right. I, you know, I think that they were. You know, um, neither side seemed to be comfortable um, with what the other side was doing. I mean, this is one of those things where you know I'm associated with somebody who is doing things that aren't necessarily in my interest most, you know, at least part of the time, and and it's the same for them, so let's split. Interestingly, he did not split from his business advisory committee, the right. one with I Red and Combs that. and well, all those yeah. folks. You know, they're yeah. not the ones who have caused him as much trouble. So this Tea Party committee, or the grassroots advisory committee, which is made up of some Tea Party activists, you know, caused uh, caused Patrick a little bit of grief this session when they came out opposed to Greg Abbott and the governor's tea, or, or the pre-K plan. Awkward. Awkward. Yeah, they wrote some letter, right, Morgan? Yeah, they wrote godless a letter. Godless Godless, promoting a godless and socialistic environment uh, for Texas children. Who knew that pre-K? Then Joanne Fleming gave the Senate a C at the end of the session when she graded the, the legislature. She, the chair of Dan Patrick's own grassroots advisory board, graded the Senate a C. I think there was a lot of discontent, too, just about what did not get passed. I think, you know, a lot of Tea Party leaders that felt like they finally had one of their own um, in the state, you know, second in command in the state. And yet they still didn't get a list of items that, that they wanted. And had more than a majority of their guys in the, and ladies in the Senate. Too, yeah. Right. Look, right. if Dan Patrick is not conservative enough for you, let's contemplate the physics of that. This is a group that says Dan Patrick is not conservative enough. This is getting to the point now, honestly, this is getting to the point now like the last third of Goodfellas. Layla is playing on the soundtrack, and the mob is starting to kill its own guys. You know, people are showing up in the dumpster and the meat freezer. We're at a point now where literally the mob family is killing its own members because those members are not loyal enough. I mean, when you look at the people who are the targets on social media and elsewhere of the most grassrootsy people in the grassroots movement, it's the kind of people who you look at and you go, how do you get more conservative than this person? They're they're, they're turning on one another. And Layla is playing on the soundtrack. Well, I also just I think the dynamic of the Tea Party and the conservative grassroots is not one that lends itself to being on an advisory board where, you know, someone is sitting there asking to approve any message that they send out or even to present any kind of unified voice on, you know, what issue, maybe they all agree on policy side, but they don't necessarily agree on what issue should be the priority. And that doesn't necessarily line up with just the political side of of getting stuff done at the legislature. And and they don't seem to be too fond of Greg Abbott. This is also my read on it, is that, you know, Julia McCarty has said, come out and said a bunch of things on social media where she's questioned Abbott's commitment on certain issues. We wish Abbott would speak up more, blah, blah, blah. And I suspect from Patrick's standpoint, the last thing Patrick needs, because he has to work with the other two, the last thing, pa- it's okay for them to run Strauss down probably, but the last thing Patrick needs is for the is for his own people to be, you know, kind of pissing all over the governor. It's not that he disagrees with them, it's the association. You, you know, it's hard enough to control the things that are coming out of your own mouth. Remember when Patrick said he didn't have the votes for open carry, you <laughs> right. know? 
it's 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 doubly hard or or, or harder in a multiple <clears throat> when you're trying to when other people pretend to be speaking for you or or when you've endorsed them in a way that makes it look like what they say is what you think and well, yeah and so they just need some distance here it's your advisory well, right. so 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 i think they've realized that and i think they've you know this right. is the first six months on the job and i think they've gone i still like these folks they're still my people i you know i'm copacetic with them they speak for themselves i speak for myself we but are. the timing of the well, announcement, oh, yeah. Friday at 4.30 before right July 4th, Joanne Fleming could oh, yeah, wait it's... to be more independent until Monday? I was going to say, yeah. I thought it was quite entertaining. It's that trash they, day. That, right, yeah. they wanted the in- she wants the independence, and they put it out before the Independence Day. Before day. Independence but the thing, day. Is, the thing is, the moment the Tea Party gets somebody elected, that person becomes the establishment. I mean, and the right. challenge is, any time you have an association with one of these folks, right. you know, the Tea Party with Dan Patrick— He's going to be part of the problem. He becomes what they want to buy. Activists are 100 percenters. Right. And office holders can't be. And there's always a disconnect The great poster child of this is Giovanni Capriglio. Exactly. You know what? They've turned him into Bernie Sanders. And you saw where Mark Jones had him. Oh, yeah. Mark Jones is the political science professor at Rice. My favorite piece we published (laughs) of the year, by the way. Rice University published a piece in Trip Talk the other day that basically rated the, you know, as he does after every session, he took all of the record votes made by the legislature rated them from most to least liberal or most to least conservative, however you want to look at it. And number four was Giovanni Capri. No, 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 no. It went, it went uh, Rinaldi, Stickland. I know this. It went Rinaldi, Stickland, Tinderholt, Schaefer. I think Capriglione was right after that. I know this because he's I, in, I, I forgot in, Stickland and Stickland complained. Where, 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 where you didn't mention me? Liver? What am I, chopped liver? Uh, but, but you're right. He's in, he's the, in, the, top, top, he's in the top group. Yeah, right. Right? He's in the top group. And they're all talking about we got to get a primary opponent for him and we're going to teach him a lesson. We're going to string him up. Right. Not conservative you know, enough. Not well, conservative. And the, you know, I do buy the argument in this statement from John Fleming that, you know, we want to have as much independence as possible in the election cycle and we don't want to be tethered to Dan Patrick in the election cycle. I mean, part of this is, again, all about the campaign, like, you know, being on some grassroots advisory committee linked to the lieutenant governor during a campaign season is probably not great. Well, for that's business. the other thing. These a lot of those folks are, you know, just by. You know, just because of their politics. I mean, you can see where they're going to oppose some incumbent somewhere. And exactly. you, a lieutenant governor can't afford to be opposing people in his own party who are incumbents. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just bad juju. So you think if they... Uh, so if they come out against... <clears> they you come know, out against Seliger. Oh, Seliger's not running this time. But they come out against... So I don't know who they would be against who's running right. this time. But they come out against a House member. Well, no, but then that wouldn't matter for the Senate. See, I can't figure out the problem. It's just Why like, couldn't you know, they be because, independent because of Because the lieutenant governor doesn't want to be associated like you know very very closely with people who are challenging incumbent members of the legislature that the lieutenant governor has to either manage or deal with is this a mea culpa to abbott from patrick i mean is this a i you know i probably shouldn't have gone there and this has made our relationship awkward i really think this is one of those things that sounded really great at the beginning of Mm -hmm. his first term as lieutenant governor and then he realized he had to do it you know on second thought you know (laughs) advisors who needs advisors i'll call you when i need you yeah yeah and i think it was also a night the grassroots advisory board was a nice balance to the the citizens business advisory board that he had um, that was loaded up with like donors and big names exactly. but those guys are yeah. still there yeah right yeah. right yeah, yeah that's what happens when you get in office you realize who you need and who you don't need <laughs> pretty quick all right. Well, um, we thought that State Representative Cecil Bell this week was going to announce a run for speaker. <laughs> he definitely alluded to it. And then he had a press conference where he did something else entirely. Who wants to fill us in? 
Uh, he started a pact. <laughs> it's not exactly a pact, I guess, right? It's a, The Constitutional what? Restoration of State Sovereignty is the name of his pact. Right. It's basically a Tenth Amendment thing. and um, Not new, but has new resonance in the post-gay marriage is legal era. Yeah, I this mean, was, was the, you know, the, the persons of cake, you know, sort of started this thing. Cecil Bell and a bunch of folks at the beginning of the session or early in the session, I don't remember the exact timing of this, had a... Um, uh, wedding cake, um, sort of symbolizing their support for opposite sex marriage, and <laughs> opposite get, gender, uh, yeah. opposite gender, whatever the proper terminology is, <laughs> um, and you know they lost. Short, you know, long story short, they lost, and so now they're you know coming back in the wake of the Supreme Court thing to say you know there's going to be a second round of this, and and I guess we'll begin with a series of campaign promises and then proposed laws in the 2017 session that um, try to whittle around the edges of what the Supreme Court ruled a couple of weeks ago on same-sex marriage. This is where I wish Morgan had finished law school. Because <laughs> I'd like to understand, the why, the this I'd like to understand why the supremacy clause doesn't trump anything that the legislature would do. I'll put her on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's G- Give a us only half I an answer, Sid. You only went to half law school. A Texplainer on the Texas Tribune site that I wrote during my first six months here about the 10th Amendment and the Supremacy Clause. So I encourage everyone to go read that. Fresh out of dropping out of law school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. She still have it I in interviewed all my old professors. <laughs> right. Well, for, for starters on the political front, I mean, is he going to run for speaker or is this just a silly little joke to I, try to get people know, to pay attention to his press conference? I don't know. I think, you know, um, if everybody thinks you're going to announce for speaker, everybody shows up for your press conference. Right. I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, um, right. I don't know that he's going to run. He voted for Joe Strauss. Um, he hasn't said anything during the session that put him in opposition to Joe Strauss or the you plus know, his, ra- his rating from Empower Texans was in the seventies. Right, I, it you was know, a gentleman's C. <laughs> yeah, I expect someone will probably challenge the speaker because that's been the way of speakers for you know a long time now. Uh, I don't know if it'll be Cecil Bell. Mm. I mean, so so he sort of falls into the camp of folks making legal arguments around like this is the these are laying out the steps for Texas to resist this gay marriage ruling. I think the big question is how much resistance we're actually going to see. You know, I haven't seen anybody really falling on a sword yet this this week. You know, I kept thinking we you you have some county clerks who are not comfortable with it, but what what are the legal arguments, the big legal challenges you foresee that we're going to have? They're going to whittle around it. You know, the the court talked about marriage and referred to the constellation of benefits that go with marriage and said that, you know, part of the reason for the majority ruling was that same-sex couples were denied what they called a constellation of benefits that came with marriage. It wasn't necessarily just marriage itself, but it was all the other things. It was like health care and wills and medical care and all of that kind of stuff. And they they ruled that they have... Um, the right to those things, and I think that the you know the people attacking this or looking to limit the um, the reach of this ruling are going to whittle at the edges in the same way that they have in the forty years since Roe v. Wade. They're going to couldn't they say, do exactly you know, what about, that? Let's whittle this off. What about we're not you know you can't do this in adoptions or you can't do this in healthcare or you can't. I think there's going to be a lot of that kind of attempts at that kind of stuff coming forward. Couldn't you do exactly that, though? Couldn't you come back with a bill that banned gay marriage at 20 weeks? I mean, there's some like, you know, couldn't you run an abortion play here where you say abortion is legally 
uh, is, is abortion is, is legal according to Roe versus Wade, but we're going to do everything we can at the state level to make it so that the fact that abortion is legal is irrelevant or in, make it as inconvenient as possible. We're going to limit the access to abortion as much as we can under the law. Couldn't they attempt to do some version of that procedurally with gay marriage? Wouldn't you also have to do that for heterosexual couples that right. want to get right. married? Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the the trade-off, when you talk to these lawyers who who say they're preparing to defend, you know, these Texas folks who are religious objectors, the balancing act is between, you know, freedom of speech, is between the First Amendment and basically equal protection. You know, it's is that the, I think that's the Fourth Amendment. I need to go back and be a better constitutional <laughs> scholar. So you have these sort of two amendments and it's deciding which one judges are in the position of having to decide what takes precedent, right? I mean, and, and it's interesting to talk to these lawyers because even when you hear them, they're not saying there will be no gay marriages in Texas. They're saying we're just trying to protect the right of people who have religious objections to object. And as long as there's someone else there to perform the marriage or someone else there to hand out mm-hmm. the license, you know, our, we feel like our folks are protected. So even they acknowledge, like, as long as there's a county clerk's office where there's someone willing to do it and it doesn't delay, you know, the, the couple trying to get a marriage license, then the person who has the objection doesn't have to be the one who does it and can keep their job. Yeah, there, there are things that are wrong with the analog, but I think the analog here is more has more to do with how civil rights mm-hmm. unfolded than with how abortion unfolded. Um, then you know, it's it's the you're going to have kind of a separate but equal argument. You're going to have a public accommodation argument. You know, should we make cakes for those weddings or not? Should we, um, you know, this line that line? We've already had that conversation about you know county clerks. Should we have a line so that the county the deputy county clerk who doesn't like these um, doesn't have to grant them and you can go to this line over. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff like that. And I think they're going to explore all of those possibilities before this thing's over. And I think it'll take a long time. And, and in the meantime, it's political fodder because you can say, I'm against this and I'm going to express myself this way by filing this bill. Or Even if ultimately it's not campaign. successful. But right. Let's say you have a religious objection to black people. Do you not have well, to serve black people at your restaurant? <coughs> I mean, uh, you or, know. or to interracial marriage. What if you're a county right. clerk and you oppose? Well, it came up marriage. in interracial marriage after the Loving decision, mm-hmm. and and you know, all of these kinds of things came up, and there was some invocation of um, religious objection, and they basically said, you know, it's a public accommodation, you can't. I, I have a practical question that I'm asking as an acknowledged non-practicing Jew. Who gets to decide what a religious objection is? So I have been to temple in 25 years. I'm basically Episcopalian at this point, right? But let's say I blame us. I'm not, and also with you, Ross. uh, But let's say I decide I don't like gay marriage because it offends my sense of what is right. I'm not a religious person. I just don't like it. According to the and I'm a county clerk. Could I stand up and say religious objection? And then who's going to vet that? Who's going to be able to determine litmus test what qualifies as religious objection? So what all these attorneys say, if you ask them that question, is the attorneys who are going to defend you in this case, they say the burden of proof is on you. So the court gets to decide, but you have to make the most compelling case possible. But what's the court going to say? Well, it's like like conscience. This is like black Cindy becoming a Jew and orange is the new black. Do I have to sit there and, and, and... and talk about where my dreidel at? Do I have to kind of go through the whole, you know, here's how much I know about the Torah? (laughs) It depends on what that particular court demands of you, I think. Evan Smith brought to you by the American Film Society. <laughs> Listen, we do a lot worse for legal advice than Black Cindy. So. <laughs> yeah. Is that her name? Her name is Black Cindy. Okay. Are you not watching this show? I am. This, I just didn't realize that was that's her what, name. That's what her name is. This okay. season is terribly boring. I have to stop watching Oh, it. but the Black Cindy becoming a juice stuff is like the greatest thing in the history of television. 
right. the fact that there's a whole episode called Where My Dreidel At is the greatest thing ever. All right. Last order of business. Back to Cecil Bell. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, Democratic Where my hat at? Cecil Demo- Bell to yeah. that in how many minutes? Yeah, right. <laughs> wow. Democratic lawmakers are in the state capitol are sort of finally getting on this bandwagon around what to do about the Confederate statues and imagery on the capitol. They've sent a letter. Uh, you know, this follows, comes on the heels of UT actually having some like very serious dialogue about what to do about their Confederate statues. What do you think? How do you think this is going to play out in the legislature on the Capitol grounds where we have, I think, a dozen different monuments or images that are associated with the Confederacy? I bet there's a lot of people in the Texas legislature who are happy that this particular problem erupted after they left town and yeah. that and that they get 18 <laughs> months to settle down before they come back and look at it. Um, you know, um, it's one of the, this is one of those kinds of things where you pull a string and it leads to something and it leads to something and it leads to something and you finally go, how far do you go with this? Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody has a slightly different answer to that. And the legislature has the benefit, since they're not in town, of waiting 18 months and letting the public argument sort of settle. I don't know where it'll settle, but you know, I, I, I would imagine they're hoping that by the time they get back in January of 2017, it's pretty clear that that statue has to go, but that statue can stand. Um, you can't, you know, you could keep pulling the string and go all the way back through the names of all of these things and the founders of the state and, you know, basically well, every just school you know, in Texas. Sp- we break have, every name yeah, off I mean, of every statue for some reason. Um, we have a Jeff Davis County right, in Texas. Um, right. You know, you know, there's all kinds of sordid details in the in the history of Texas. I mean, there are there are dozens of schools in Texas, elementary, public, you know, public schools that are named after Confederate leaders. Some of them there's have probably a Lee Elementary in every city in the state. You know, there's one right. such in I'm trying to remember which county it's in, but that is 100 percent minority students and it's named after a Confederate leader. I mean, there are some really interesting ones. So it's like, yeah, but where do you stop pulling the, the string? Yeah, maybe New York had it right. They just call them all PS 812 or something. Yeah, make it easy. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, if you have questions or comments, you can email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. We'd also love to invite you to the fifth annual Texas Tribune Festival, October 16th through 18th on the UT Austin campus. You can register now at texastribune.org slash festival. 180 people confirmed to speak. 180 people confirmed to speak. And more coming. Some 40 or 60 panels or some ridiculously huge number. Right. Evan will be moderating 87%. I was going to say, most of them moderated by me. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Evan, Ross, Morgan, and our producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Two shower in a swimsuit. I look like a Wes Anderson character. I have like a snorkel and a chest. <laughs> <laughs>